0: changed. Lord, we love you, and we just commit this time to you, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so very much for the musicians and all who have participated to, to fill this church up with singing and to fill this place up with the opportunity to hear God speak. Worship is simply meeting with God, and my prayer is that all the distractions will go away and you can look more full in his wonderful face. As you come to New Covenant today, the word cloud that we put up each week is a reminder that you are in a Bible-believing church. If you look at the size of the different letters there, you're going to see that the gospel is central and the Bible is big. Uh, We always want to tell you about this great salvation, and the way we know about it is scripture. All scripture is given by God, it's inspiring, but it's able to get to the core issue, Today, the Bible is going to show us some things that maybe you didn't notice. Our text is going to be from Romans chapter 13. Uh, I've been consistently going through the book of Romans. This is found on page 1206 in your pew Bibles. But let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, inspired, infallible word as it was given in the originals. We are here to study the word. So let us do that as we look at the text that is provided is verses 13. Uh, Basically, we'll be looking at verses 7 to 10, and uh, if you have your Bibles open, you're going to see that we'll be dwelling in that area. The Apostle Paul, one who met the resurrected Lord, ended up writing to the people that were in Rome. They were in the capital city, and they were the educated crowd, but as of yet, they did not have any apostolic visit. They didn't have the New Testament in writing yet, and so the Apostle ends up writing them this beautiful epistle this letter, from his heart to theirs. We believe it was inspired by the Holy Spirit to be able to take his own thoughts and and those and put them together to show the truth. And this treatise is a beautiful treatise. Now in chapter 13, the the topic is the government. Uh, We've been looking at that already, and I'll bring bring that to bear in a few moments, but let's look beginning at verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Well, that's a great, thrilling verse to start with for a sermon. Pay your taxes. Uh, The the understanding of this is going to come clearer as we look at even the next couple verses. Verse 8 He brings up the word owe again owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in the word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not wrong, or love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling Of the law. Besides this, know the time and the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. Now, we're going to tackle that next time we go into this portion of Scripture to finish up chapter 13. Uh, But this is God's Word. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you'll take the reading of the Word and especially the preaching of the Word and make it an effectual means to grow our faith. For those who are not believers yet, I pray that you might open up blind eyes that they could see, that they can see the love of God that changes everything. Oh Lord, I pray that you will bless the word as it goes forth, that it may be like fertilizer to our souls, that it may stir up in us things that we didn't know. May it bring us to the point of repentance, and may it also equip us as the saints of God to go into this world and make known to others the good news about Jesus in Christ, them I pray, amen. I think you've all heard this phrase, what's love got to do with it? Now I didn't do justice as Tina Turner did back in uh, 1984 when I graduated from high school. It was one of the hot songs that was uh, played on the radio. Um, but today's message is all about love and I'm going to be asking that question, what's love got to do with it? I want, us, I want us to be able to digest this. We've got love pictures on the bulletin. We've just all survived, uh, uh, we've all survived Valentine's week. Uh, some of you guys did such a good job. You showed up, the rest of us, uh, in being able to treat your spouse well. Um, but the whole point is love should not just be a performance. And we'll find that out in just a few moments. Ironically, during this season, uh, our topic, the culture, is actually something that wants to embrace this topic. In other words, love, LOVE, is not something that the world goes around and says, "Ooh, yuck." You know, some of you guys may feel that way, but the world actually says, "Oh, that LOVE stuff, that's cool. In fact, you can love yourself. You can love anything you want to love. And the secular world has, I believe, captured the divine concept but not understanding it with the divine understanding. They have advanced their own godless worldview through it. And so if you are a, per, a person that's growing up in today's postmodern culture, you, may have, you hear the word love all the time. But you don't know what it really means biblically. And sadly, this misunderstanding has even crept into the church. So that even inside your own families and the application of it, sometimes we don't really understand what love is. You know, that was another one. I want to know what love is. These guys all during, during my era were asking these great questions. During February, we're going to get a dose, a fresh dose. But I want to be able to solicit your understanding of the biblical role. And I hope that it will, you'll be able to let go of any deception that you've picked up over your own years of experience... ...listening to the secular voices and maybe even the secular songs. Today, they push love in lots of different ways... They, they love of self-indulgence, the love of big money from the government, the love of a global reset where, with, where they can reimagine this world. There's a lot of free love that's out there. Seemingly, no commitment necessary. And that's why Tina asked the question, what's love got to do with it? Her... her <laughs> Her expression, I had to go back to the song and read it. Uh, It was a long time ago when I first heard it. Uh, She she ends up painting a picture that's not so good about love back 40-some years ago. She says, you must understand that through the touch of your hand, it makes my pulse react, that it's only the thrill of a boy meeting a girl because opposites attract. It's physical, only logical. And you must try to ignore that it means more than that. So back in 1984, Tina is trying to teach all of her audience that love, oh yeah, it it does what puberty does. You know, it it tickles your fancy. It gets you interested and all those things. But then her chorus comes in. Oh, what's love got to do with it? She says, it's only a secondhand emotion. She says, what's love got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? You see, Tina is expressing... The way a lot of the world feels. You get your heart broken, and then love doesn't work anymore. So she just called it a secondhand emotion. A lot of people are claiming to, to reimagine what love is because they don't really know what it means to truly be loved. So many souls are damaged by non biblical excesses of earthly love, and that's why it's so important for us to get it. Today, as I was looking at this passage in Romans chapter 13, uh, there are three questions that came to my mind that need to be answered. And uh, I think you'll be able to understand it as we give you some fascinating, and hopefully memorable answers. The first one, what is Romans 13 known for? What is it known for? If you were to turn Romans 13 in, what would you be talking about? Government. I thank you, somebody in the back there spoke up with some boldness. Yeah, if you want to understand the whole governmental concept, almost everyone will go to Romans 13. It's known for government. So the question is, why, pastor, are you preaching about love out of the government chapter? Am I trying to tell you to love the government too? We'll get to that. Uh, Second question is, uh, did you notice something as we were reading the text today? They started listing some of the Ten Commandments. And of course, in our church, we do that every second Sunday of the month. We go through the Ten Commandments, you know, where, where the first four are focused vertically and the last six are focused horizontally. Uh, let's see if I can get them right. Number five is honor your father and mother. Number six is honor life. Number seven has to do with uh, be true to your mate. Number eight has to do with, um, with stealing. So, so, and then number nine, don't bear a false witness. and Number ten, don't covet. Now, when we read our passage today, did you notice that at least four of them were specifically mentioned? It's almost like he had that as a call to worship. Now, so I'm asking this question why is Paul having to explain the Ten Commandments in chapter 13? I want to give you a good answer for that one, too. The third question that comes up is uh, what are you and I supposed to do with this idea of love in Romans 13? Because it's a little bit challenging. How do we apply it in our modern day, in this postmodern era where people are misunderstanding love and they don't know what love has to do with anything? So the three answers I'm going to give you, if you have the fourth point sheet on the back uh, or if you're writing it down, uh, I want to be able to give you these three memorable ways. First, love is the mortar that maintains God's order. It's a good one. Love is the mortar that that uh, maintains God's order. I'll explain that one as we go through uh, verses uh, Basically 7 through, through 8, 9, and 10. Uh, secondly, the, third, the question is going to ask, uh, or, or I want to be able to answer the question about the Ten Commandments. Uh, love is the caulk that connects the commandments. In other words, what you're going to see in this text, the reason he deals with them is that he's connecting them together with love. That's why I call it caulk. Uh, We're having, uh, we had our bathroom fixed and and, uh, they had to put all this stuff in and fix the seals and all that. So it's kind of like some glue. It holds it together. And then the third one is the uh, love is what I'm calling the yellow brick road that links God and man. The yellow brick road that links God with man. And, And so love is the theme of this particular message. So let's dive right into it and see if you can get a clearer understanding and understand how love has to do with it all. Not just with a few things. So, Romans chapter 13. uh, Love is the mortar that keeps God's order. If you'll uh, open up your Bibles there, you're going to see in chapter 13. um, Well, I'm going to take you first to chapter 13 of Corinthians. Okay, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, this is the other chapter 13. And if I were to ask you here, what is 1 Corinthians 13 about? Oh, all of you are picking up on it. Okay, so I'm glad you picked up on the cue, especially since it's above above my head behind me. If you look at verse 4, love, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love doesn't even boast. Uh, Love is not arrogant. And love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own agenda. Love is not easily irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice when people do wrong, love rejoices when people deal with truth. Love, it bears through all kinds of things. Love believes the best. It believes all things. Love even has hope. When you have love, you're not hopeless. And love, it keeps going. Better than an ever-ready battery. It endures In fact, in verse 8, he goes on to say, love never ends. It never gives up. It's never over. And then he starts listing some of the other things that you might cherish and love, but they are temporary. Love isn't temporary. And that's why in verse 13, at the end, now abides faith, hope, love, Um, but the greatest of these is love. Love. All of you have heard about love, because love is what we usually think about at at wedding ceremonies. Somebody always has to quote 1 Corinthians 13. But we're in Romans 13, and we're not focused all about all that lovey-dovey stuff, are we? Actually, we are. And that's what's interesting about it. Most people do not see the love that is in Romans 13. It's almost like it's forgotten because we talk about the government so much. And really, I don't know how many people love government. I think everybody loves government handouts. But when you understand this passage, you'll see a little bit more. I'm arguing that love is the mortar in God's order. So if you go back with me and understand Romans 13, the verses that precede this, he says, uh, I'm going to read them for you. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists these authorities resists the God who had appointed them, and those who resist will incur judgment. Verse 3 picks up, For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then he says, Do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is simply God's servant for your good. But if you're going to do what's wrong, then you should be afraid, for the government is not, does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath against sin, against wrongdoing. Therefore, verse 5, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of your conscience. For because of this... You must also pay your taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing, and pay to all what is owed to them. And that's where we pick up on our text. See, I want you to be able to see in the first six or seven verses, I want you to recognize God's order. And those of you that remember the picture that we had up two weeks ago, it was about the picture of an intersection. And in that intersection, there is a lot of things going on. Most of you will draw your attention immediately to what's wrong. Okay? Are you spotting the accident in the middle? Okay? And then typically, uh, if you're going to identify with somebody there, some of you might be like the first responder mindset and you're, you're looking at the fire department that has some of the guys standing out there trying to maintain order. Some of you may feel um, like, you're, you know, the half, half empty, you know, the is half empty people, the pessimists, and some of you just see yourself sitting in the traffic jam behind uh, the middle section, and you're realizing you aren't going anywhere. You're stuck, you know, and some of you are thankful that life seems to be a little easier for you because you're on the right side, and the right side, the traffic still seems to be moving. And you can picture yourself looking out your driver window and saying, those poor people, I'm glad I'm not them. <laughs> now, all of us can look at that and you can see different things. I wanted you to see it from the helicopter view of faith. And I wanted you to see that there is, this is the picture of Romans 13. Romans 13 says that God is good to us and he gives us lines on the road and he gives us leaders who will try to keep things so that we can move and live and have our being. Okay, there's order, the lines on the road and even telling people to drive on the right side instead of the wrong side. I mean, all these things make sense. And when we look up there, almost everybody in this room understands what those middle lanes are for. You know, they're supposed to be to be able to get to your place faster. HOV lanes, you pay a little bit of extra, but somebody paid the wrong price. Certainly didn't get them where they wanted to go. Now what I'm trying to say is when you look at Romans 13 it is all about God's order and then you can see that when people mess up when they mistake make mistakes when they get out of the lanes when they pass without looking in their rearview mirror or maybe they're just distracted by dropping their drink on their floor uh, of their car and the next thing you know they're swerving or they're out of control or they can't or their brakes quit working and the next thing you know you have an accident like the red cars in the middle Even though there's an accident there, this picture is a picture of order. We all know the way it's supposed to be. And that is the point of Romans 13. God did not leave us to be in chaos. He didn't just make people and say, do whatever you want to do. Go wherever you want to go. Say whatever you want to say. You could punch anybody in the face that you would want to. You can even you know, drop your drawers or you can do anything. You don't even have to use restrooms. You can just whatever. Total chaos is what would be left if everybody did what was right in their own eyes. God gave order, and he actually instituted, or three institutions, I call it, he delegated authority to the three, to the state, to the home, and to the church. If you go through scripture, you'll see them, and I repeat them over and over, because in our culture, they have already tried to erase two of them. They have tried to promote the one to become, uh, for instance, they've, they've made the state look more important. The state is now replacing the family, and the state is even replacing the church. Let me ask you a question. If you need some money because you can't pay your bills, where do you go? Well, most people will find out from their Google, from their phones. Obviously, everybody has a phone these days. So even if you're poor and impoverished, you can get on your smartphone and you can say, hey, uh, what's the government program that will give me help for this? Do I qualify? And the irony is even if you go to most churches and sometimes even here, if you come in here with a need, we might even call the government aid to see what you're eligible for too. Do you remember what it was like 20 years ago? If you couldn't get a job, we would probably give you a job. If you needed food, we'd want you to come along, we'd come alongside of you and give you food. Because the church was trying to do mercy ministry instead of the state. And and I liken it to the home. Uh, If you watch what's going on in these new elections, the last one that happened in Virginia, a lot of parents were realizing that parental authority was under attack. Who gets to decide what your children learn? Do you? In this day and age, right now, there's other bureaucrats, there's other people that are making the decision what's acceptable and what's not. I still remember seeing that, uh, that one clip of, of a library over in, uh, in Virginia where they said, these are books that, you're, that adults don't want you to look at, and t- tempting the young people to be reading things that have a different world and life view than what we grew up with. Now, I, I am saying that in this particular thing, what's love got to do with it? And uh, now that you understand order is, first, is Romans 13, then let me pick up here in our text, uh, beginning in verse 6. For because of this, you pay your taxes. In other words, because God has put order in there, and he has assigned people, he's delegated authority to people to maintain some kind of order instead of chaos, he says there's going to be some cost to you. In other words, they go. They are going to do the order, but it's going to have a price tag. You can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 8 as well. When I was teaching this class to my son, uh, doing the homeschool stuff, we were realizing that when the people wanted a king to be just like the other nations, Samuel tells them, he says, I don't want to give it to you. God should be enough. He's the one that set order. But they say, oh, no, we want to be like the rest of the nations and have a king. And so he says, Okay then you're going to have to pay taxes. You're going to have to go to war. You're going to have to uh, give up your daughters to do uh, civil service and all this kind of stuff. There's a price tag. And so if you look at verse 6, he says you're going to have to pay uh, four things. He's, in verse 7, pay to all what is owed. And then he goes and he lists the four things. Did you hear them? Taxes, revenue, respect, and honor. Are that just, is that just a random list? Have you ever thought about that? Oh, these are things that popped into into Paul's head when he wrote it. No, there actually is a sequence. You can see from the smaller to the greater. You can see the uh, the least significant to the greater. And I'll touch on that when we make application. But then in verse 8, he he throws this curveball into people. Oh, no one, anything. And this almost sounds to some literalists that you should never be in debt. Do any of you have a mortgage? Naughty, naughty. You don't need to owe those banks, those people that have all the money in the world. No, no, the scripture is not telling you that debt is wrong. Uh, In fact, I I will show you in scripture that debt is actually something that God uh, allows. He just does not want debt to ever be a slave master to you. Because if you owe something, then you need to pay it back. And that's what the principle of this text, if you go to the original Greek, and uh, James Boyce was helpful in trying to explain this to me, he says that when it says, owe no one anything, he says, make sure that every debt is being paid. Make sure that everything that is owed gets, gets, uh, gets the right proper payment. So if you've made an agreement to pay back on your house, then make sure you do it. If you made a deal with somebody, make sure you follow through on it. And he says you should, as a Christian, you should not let any of your yeses and oaths uh, be no's and broken promises. He says, give what is due. And he gives it, and then he says, and then the summary of this is, um, love each other. This is a debt, or this is an obligation, or this is a responsibility that we cannot ignore. And then he goes on in verse 9 to talk about the commandments. But the first point I wanted to really drive home for you is that, uh, that this order stays together because of love. And I've been using the analogy of the, the mortar with the bricks. Um, back a few years ago, our church sent a mission trip down to Mexico. And uh, one of the groups uh, of, of, the, of the 15 or so people that went, uh, we had a professional bricklayers go down with us. And so we were down at the little House of Hope, which was where, where a lot of these little orphan kids are, uh, with Chewie and Amy and the Acostas. And I mean, it was really neat. And so our team went down to build the third floor on top of their, of their place. So we had to get the bricks and the blocks, and we had to get them up to the second floor. And then uh, with the master builders that we had, we put the blocks up. And you know what we put between every block? Mortar. Mortar was a mess. When you have to do all of that on the rooftop and you're splashing this around and this and this and then you have to flap, flip it up there and you scrape it off. Uh, but it's interesting that the walls stayed together because of the mortar that kept them in the right places. And the master builders knew exactly how to do it. Most of us were just uh, you know, little, little uh, yes men that we would say, we get this, fetch this, go get the water, do this, pull it up with the, the, uh, the pulley. I mean, it was a lot of fun, but it was amazing how much we did when somebody knew what they were doing. The emphasis of point one is the mortar that holds the blocks together, order, order. God has already ordained these three institutions, and we already know them. You already know the terms, but you also know the roles that people play in them. Uh, Which one does a governor fit into? Home, church, or state? The state. Which one does a dad fit into? The home. Which one does pastor fit into? The church. We already know these terminologies. We're familiar with them. Why? Because God has set up order and is supposed to be maintained. Now, what's interesting about it is If the people in the house hate, they hate their parents. Or the husband hates that woman. Or the wife says, I do better with the dog than with him. (laughs) If there is this ungodly spirit in the home and there is no L-O-V-E, guess what kind of a house that's going to be? Pretty horrible. Can you see how Love is the mortar that holds that together in the church. If you look around and you see God's people and they're going around, and today when I said go talk to somebody, and you're like, (laughs) actually, you look down so nobody will look at you. (laughs) And you pretend that you're doing great. You see, part of the reason for asking you to go around and meet somebody new is to show you that you're not alone in this world. We are God's people. This is the body of Christ. And if love doesn't abound here, what is church? If love doesn't have anything to do with it. It's weird how we sometimes throw that term around. I love you. I love you. And then our actions don't show that we love you. But love should abound in the church. And this is why I'm making the application. The mortar in the state is love, well as well. Now, it's a little interesting here because when you look at it, how do we love everybody in our our community? How do we love everybody in our state of Delaware? How do we love everybody in, in America? Come on, pastor. I can't love those people. Look at what they've done. No, if you look at the text, what we love here is civility. If you look at how it comes back, he ends up saying love is the mortar that holds the order together, and the order is is that we have to live in community. We have to live with people that don't agree with us, that vote different causes, that prioritize different things. And that's why he goes down that list of saying, hey, you remember you should give taxes, you should give revenue, you should give respect, and you should give honor. And I come back and let me translate them for you a little bit more. The first one is, you ought to pay for things that you use. The word isn't taxes in the, in the Greek. It's not saying that you have to do whatever 35% the government is going to change it to and build back better. No, no, it's not talking about that. It's saying that if you're going to buy something, if you're going to carry something, that's the Greek word. If it's part of your life, it's like if you go to the grocery store and you carry something home, you just don't take it home without compensating. You pay for it. Okay, and that's the first kind of thing. It's, it's the exchange of goods. The second one talks about the exchange of revenue. And this is, I think, where it comes down to you get a paycheck. If you work hard, you get paid. If you don't work, you shouldn't get paid. And so the second thing says part of societal order is that you should make sure you pay people that work. Sounds, sounds like it makes sense. If you move to the next one, then it says the word is phobos or Fear. The third one is to say, hey, you need to have a reverence or a fear for those people who have order, that maintain the order, okay? And that is the people who hold the positions. Now, when you look around, you may not like them, but if you've got a a president or a governor or elected official or even a mayor, and let's say they hold that position of mayor, you're not supposed to spit in their face. You're supposed to have respect for the position." And that's what I see that. And then the fourth one is a little interesting because it says it has to do with worth. If somebody is worthy, then you give them that last thing. And I liken this to where Paul talks to about the pastor in the church who handles the word well. You're supposed to give him double honor. Okay. So when you find people in government that do it well, you give them extra honor. And so if you look at the civility that's in that, you're not filled with love and and disgust. You're actually saying, oh, this is how God's order works. This is the lanes on the road that we're supposed to operate on. And when people mess up, that's when the crashes happen. But this is the way it's supposed to be. The mortar that keeps God's order. The second point here that I want to bring out is the caulk that holds the commandments together. If you're with me in chapter 13, uh, beginning there in verse 9, the commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandments are summed up in this one phrase. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the second question that I was asking is, why would the Apostle Paul have to school these people in Rome, who are probably pretty educated, about the Ten Commandments? And you might even ask your question, why would he only deal with four out of the ten? Why does he focus on those four? And, I mean, I'm, I'm the, the, the critical one. I'm saying, why did he even get them out of order? Did you notice what was first? The first one had to do with the sexual impurity, messing up with, the, with marriage and sex. The second one had to do with, if you look back, with murder, you know, honoring life. Then he goes on to jump and he moves to the, if, if you're following along in the text, you can say, uh, he says, don't take the stealing. And then the last one is number 10. Don't, don't just wish you had what everybody else had. It's really quite interesting how, I, I, how I've been trying to study this particular text. Love is this cult that's supposed to hold it together. And uh, there are four applications of, this, of these commandments here. And uh, I wanted you to be able to see, because since everybody is under authority, we see that in chapter 13, verse 1, God set up institutions, that makes sense, because God put it there. It was a gift from him. He says that we're not free to be full of anarchy. In other words, chaos is not something that should be normal for us. Because if we fight God's order, you can expect to have the consequences, the crashes in the, in the picture. And individual government officials are supposed to help us to keep that order. They're supposed to clarify what the boundaries are and the rules are. So they put up speed limits and they say, this is a safe speed or this is not a safe speed. And they might even put policemen and stuff there and red lights and and stuff like that to be able to help us to stay governed. But the Bible goes on to say there in Romans 13, if you're doing what's right, you don't have to be afraid. And so if you're a good patriot of your country, you don't have to live in fear because the good officials were going to recognize people who are good citizens. But then these issues arise. Okay, good citizens need to, uh, they need to take care of of the the commerce. They need to pay for people uh, that, that, you know, pay the wages. They need to give respect to the positions, and they also need to honor those who lead well. Uh, but, But this is where it's interesting after you get all of that. There is a sense that Paul says there's more authority than this than just civility. He says, let me take you back to the original writings. Where did we get the Ten Commandments? Wasn't that an act of Congress in 1968? No, we all know that God wrote them with his own finger. He did it in Exodus chapter 20. And those of you that remember it, I try to put it up in front of your eyes every month. But if you look at it in Exodus 20, he ends up saying, um, I am the Lord thy God. I'm God. Okay, And when you see this, he says, I am giving you these boundaries, these guidelines. I'm giving you the lines on the road. And he does, as I said, I've gone through the four of them. The first four are making sure that you're right with God. You don't use his name wrong. You make sure you worship him the way he wishes to be worshipped. And you set aside one day a week to be able to make sure that priority-wise, you get your reset button to be able to focus on him and him only. And then he tells us how to live, what duty God requires of man. And, of course, the first one has to do with the home. And that's why in Romans 13, I think he doesn't focus on number five. He focuses on the next ones, which is your society. How do you live with your neighbors? And it's quite interesting how you see them all fleshed out here. This caulk that holds them all together, um, it's supposed to help us. Love connects all of them. If you look at all the commandments, they all make sense because of love. Uh, I went back to another old song, Captain Antoneal, 1975. Love will keep us together. Okay? Think of me, babe, whenever. Uh, but, but the interesting thing about this is that uh, the phrasing of love here is that love is going to protect from messing up. Listen, listen to how there's three verses here, and I, I chuckled at it. Uh, those of you that remember it will, get a, get, will be smiling. He says, when some sweet-talking girl comes along singing her song, don't mess around. You've got to be strong. Just stop. Because I really love you. Don't cave in. Don't give in to the allurements. Don't take a second look. Now in the second verse he says, "Young and beautiful, but someday your looks will be gone when the others turn you off, who will be turning you on I will, I will, I will she says, I'll be there because I love you. See when you get old and things aren't going to be the same as they were when you were young and spry there was there was one more verse there, whatever uh, he says um When those girls start hanging around and talking me down, hear with your heart, and you won't hear a sound. Just stop, because I really love you. I'm really thinking of you. Look in my heart, and let love keep us together. You see, love is what binds us. Now, let me apply that kind of principle to these commandments. Okay, because if you're following along, you're going to see how love does some cool things in relation to, to um Number seven commandment, which is about adultery. Love keeps a marriage intact. Love protects those in it and outside of it too. If you have a faithful marriage, guess what? You won't be tempting somebody else, and then you're going to resist any of their temptations for you. You just saved a bunch of people from breaking the seventh commandment. Or as we like to say, be true to your mate. Now, secondly, love builds character. It doesn't destroy it. If you look at commandment number six, thou shalt not murder. Don't take somebody's life. Don't destroy life. And some of us would apply that from from conception on to the old age. Everybody's life has value. And so you, you build those people up rather than tearing them down. If you destroy someone's personality or if you go after their character, you have begun to destroy them and break the sixth commandment. But love doesn't do that. Love builds it. Love gets rid of the slander, the deceit, the murder, or even the canceling. Those of you that have paid attention to the Joe Rogan stuff going on. People that are trying to kick him off of everything, it's not because they love Joe. I don't even know if you know what I'm talking about. But they have a love for something else other than Joe Rogan. Now, the third third commandment that he mentions has to do with property. He says, don't steal it. Don't take what's not yours. And so really, when you understand how love bonds all this, love loves ownership. It helps you protect property from being seized, stolen, or occupied. Or if you want to go back to the, the, to the Revolutionary War, people didn't want to have to quarter soldiers. There was a, a design for saying, hey, this is my property. I, I'm going to take care of what I have. And so you have a love for ownership. And the, the last one there, that love uh, overcomes covetousness. The Tenth Commandment, because actually love honors satisfaction. What do you need that you don't have right now? There's a lot of wishes. You know, I wish that I could eat as much as Santi did yesterday. (laughs) Three and a half plates of that stuff, it was really good. But I can't handle that. What do we, when do we get satisfied? What satisfies us? Contentment with life that God has given us. See, love allows you to be content who you are. And if you don't have love, then you're going to, let me, I wrote this down. You'll end up, you'll end up envying. You'll decide to reinvent your world. You might even suggest that you change your identity because you don't like what you've got. Or you'll be dissatisfied with, the, um, with, your, with your status in life. Maybe you're the fifth kid instead of the first. Maybe you're dissatisfied with, with, the, um, uh, with, the natu- with the natural sexual relationships and you'll come up with some alternatives. Maybe you'll be dissatisfied with the whole family unit thing and just say, who cares about marriage? Let's just live together. Let's just have babies if we want Willfully experimenting with the unnatural lifestyle, substituting God's order for a godless humanity, all because they don't love contentment. Do you see how the caulk that holds the commandments together is that if you have this kind of love inside of you, you're not going to be a difficult person in society. And that's why it fits in with Romans 13. Now, I want to make the application of the last... Love is the yellow brick road that leads us into a right relationship with God. This one was a little bit harder to to find, but I can tell you my question when I'm reading all through 7 verses, verses 7 through 10. So what's love got to do with it for us? And uh, I was triggered by a Valentine's uh, song that I heard. And I, I liked it. It had the word yellow brick road in it. Uh, and it wasn't the old, old one. It was one of the newer ones. Uh, it, it was connected with that new hit release by uh, J-Lo. Uh, she says, uh, love, uh, love is an interesting one. Let me read you verses of it. It says, um, it's on my way to you. And, sh- and she writes this and sings this. Always knew you even when I didn't. Uh, he's always knew you even when I didn't know you. It doesn't make sense, but, but it does. She says, I was on my way to you. Every teardrop fell so heavy, it hurt like <clears throat> the opposite of heaven. But <laughs> it hurt like hell, but heaven sent me through because I was on my way to you. And then the chorus goes on, and as you probably have heard this. Every heartbreak was a yellow brick road, pointing me straight, just taking me home. I was never lost. I was just passing through. Because I was on my way to you. Do you see the love in that? It was the yellow brick road. Now that's taken from the, uh, the Wizard of Oz movie. Where, where Dorothy wants to get to the place where she has a relationship with the wizard who can fix her problem. It's a great metaphor for Christianity. That we need to find our way to be able to meet with God. Who can meet our sin conditioned needs. The problem is, is that the yellow brick road is something we can't follow. But, but in this song, they do a great job in verse 2. Hope was hopeless. Faith was running. I didn't notice that you were coming through because you were on your way too. And you don't believe it was in meant to be, but somehow it was meant for me. And it's true. Yes, you were on your way too. Very, very neat lyrics. To be able to say, here I am. I'm on my way to find that love. And now you're on your way too. And it doesn't make sense, but it seems to be true. And so you have every heartbreak as a yellow brick road pointing me straight, just taking me home. I want to find that place where I'm loved. But this is getting the cart before the horse. I can't find those lyrics in the Bible. You know what's missing here? Is that she's talking about getting to the love, the place of love, to getting to Oz. And the idea is there if we just try hard enough, if we just really go forward, if if we do our best to stay on the straight and the narrow or follow the yellow brick road, we're gonna get to our destination. We're finally gonna be loved. Because right now, it doesn't feel quite that we're loved like we should be. The focus is not on us and our way to God, but the focus should be on God's way to us. He was on the way, and that's because of the love of God. You see, God's love changed everything. The reason why we even have order in society, Romans 13, is because God already loved It wasn't an afterthought that he put order in society. He put that in when he made um, Adam and Eve. He said there's going to be a governing pattern. Even he put the husband over the wife. You can see it all there. There's order. Love is what moved God forwards. If you look at Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, you already know what came first. In Romans 5, you can see that the love of God comes first. For while we were yet weak and at the right time, God died for the ungodly. And if you keep going, you can see that verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a a person would dare to die. But in verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were perfect, no, that's not what it says. (laughs) While we were a mess, God was running to us. If I took you to, to John 15, 13 through 16, you also can see it again, the, uh, the, the one who is loved by Jesus. He ends up writing, greater love is no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And if you go on, you are my friends, if you do what I command you. Notice the Ten Commandments is in play. No longer will I call you a servant, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He says there is a loving relationship there, and it's not just like a blind obedience to some statute. There is an intimacy that comes. And that's why John 3.16 is familiar to everyone here. For God so hated the world. No. God loved people. He did it. He did something while we were a mess. And that's why I want to be able to highlight these words that my mom had sung at my dad's funeral. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win his erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin you see the love of god is the amazing part of it now some of you might be jumping right to luke chapter 10 and the prodigal son and say oh oh no we're relating to the prodigal he ran to the father let me tell you the prodigal son was known for running away from the father the prodigal son was known because he said, I don't want what the father has. I, I reject it. I, it. I don't want to even be associated with it anymore. And he took off and he lived his life in disorder. He did whatever he wanted to do until he ran out of money. And it was at that point that the love of the father reached him wherever he was, way, way, way out in the uttermost parts of the earth. Scripture says in the story that he was feeding pigs. Uttermost parts of the earth. The love of God reached him there. And God opened up his blind eyes to finally see the truth, the Father's love. And he says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper there. It'd be so much better. I know my Father. I know him. I know he's good. Maybe he will have mercy on me. He already knew. For when that boy was on his way back, where was the father? The father was reading his newspaper, right? <laughs> no, the father was looking for the boy. And as the boy starts to come close, the father runs to him. He was making his way back to the boy. It is so beautiful when you realize how all of this works together. It is the yellow brick road that brings the connection. You aren't searching for God. None of us are righteous. No, not one. We've all gone our own ways. And the Lord has turned on us and given us what is deserved upon us until God and his great love interceded. And even on Calvary's cross, Father, forgive them. I want to make a couple applications as we wrap up love is misapplied in this godless culture so here some of the words of god that you know about god is love love does not fail love does not rejoice in iniquity love does not boast it does not seek its own love is always kind love rejoices in truth love matures a soul to be more like god see all of these things are biblical texts you're going to find a couple of applications where the scripture tells us, and it came off of your lips today, love, the, love your God with all that you have. Love your neighbor as you care for yourself. And even love your enemies. That's in Matthew 10, 43, which we mentioned last night. All of these imperatives. Love, 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 do it. But you also find some other scriptures that make it hard. Fight the good faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. Uh, He says, our battle is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood, but you have to fight. He says, don't love the world, nor the things that are in the world. And he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And the love of attention and respect that they get from their religious prayers is awful. He's talking about the Pharisees who prayed those pompous prayers. Father, I am so thankful I'm not like that guy. The love of power. You can read about that from Nebuchadnezzar, the love of possessions. When Jesus was talking to that rich young ruler, he said, sell all that you have. Just follow me, love me. I can't. I love my stuff. It's really interesting. How do we parallel and reconcile all this? Well, I just want to, I was going to use James Boyce's, uh, instructions. I'll just give you his, his, the stuff in italics. He says, if you want some real practical application about doing the Romans 13 love, he says, number one, he says, don't, uh, excuse me, here he says, uh, love in action. The points here, he says, the first one, he says, is that you should listen to one another. Secondly, he says, share with one another. Third, he says, forgive one another. And fourth, he says, serve one another. Those are real practical advices, and when you go home, you might want to think through that a little bit more. I just wanted to bring a little clarity to some of the confusion. I believe that love is an interesting commodity because it's not something that you can buy or purchase. You can't get it at Sam's or Walmart. They may smile at you, but you're not going to get the love of God there. The love of God is God's to give. See, and when you understand the definition of the term love... Love is giving. For God so loved the world that he... Okay, you, you see it yourself. When God demonstrated love, he gave what was needed, not what was wanted. Nobody wanted Jesus to die. Nobody would have said, oh, please come down and die for me. No, Peter even said, I don't want you to die, Lord. <laughs> see, that's where our we, we think we need something different than what we really need. Love meets Needs. And it gives, and it gives, and it gives to meet those needs. But now, there's this other commodity. When we say that we have to love our enemies, it's really kind of interesting. You have to be careful on on misunderstanding all of this stuff. If If you practice Romans 13, love, then you definitely give anybody in your community civility. You give them decency. You give them respect for the positions they hold and you give them respect as their neighbor because he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And who is your neighbor? Well, Jesus explained that. He said, look at the the good Samaritan. It's the one that has a need. The one that God opened your eyes up to see the need. That's what you're supposed to try to meet. It. You're not responsible for everybody in the world's needs. But if you're going to love your neighbor, you're going to notice the needs that they have and you're going to try to give to meet that need. Love meets needs. Now, if you have an enemy, you try to figure out what they need. I have some theories about how to minister to your enemies. Scripture gives us multiple positions. When when they said earnestly contend for the faith, and when they talk about some of the sins that were going on in the church, whether you go to Jude or whether you go to 1 Peter, there was always this this challenge of uh, you can't just roll over and say, oh, everybody can do whatever they want to do. I don't want anybody to be upset. No, but there is wrongdoing that has to be corrected. If you go to 1 Corinthians, the first four or five chapters are all about the sins in the church that the sinners were the Christians. And and he writes 2 Corinthians to tell them about the love of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21 says, the love of God constrains me to do this. It forces me to do it. It's like a magnet that I can't stop. God's love flowing through me. And see, that's the application of this love. When you realize that the love that we share as Christians is not ours. We're basically a conduit. God pours it in and it flows right through us. I was going to use an analogy of the excretory system, but it's not really cool. What goes in? Okay, It's supposed to come out. And if God's love is filling you, then it should flow out of you. And it should be evident 24-7 with every relationship you have. And some relationships are going to be a little bit more less intense and some more intense. When the Bible talks about loving your spouse, is that the same kind of love as loving your neighbor's wife? You all laugh. There's a clear difference. So when God says he loved the world, but then he tells us in 1 John 4, don't you love the world? You realize that he's not talking about a difference in love. He's talking about the object of that love. Because if the love of the Father is flowing through you, you can't love the things that are temporal. You can't love the things that are going to perish. You can't love the wood, hay, and stubble. If you do, you're just a fool. Lay up yourselves, your treasures in heaven. Because the love of God is eternal. It never fades. I'm not sure if we get to heaven that we'll even know who our spouse was. I think we will. I think it's going to be a little different, though. Because our spouse is going to have the same needs. Good thing Tracy won't have to deal with my needs. I'm a very needy person, right? Now, when, when you think about this love that flows through you, It's amazing. It's amazing. Changes everything. That's why we can be the best citizens. Romans 13. And if you go back to Romans 12, which we'll be preaching later, uh, let me let me read it for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let your love. This is writing to Christians before he gets to chapter 13, verse 9 of chapter 12. Let your love be genuine. Make sure that you hate or abhor the bad stuff. Hang on with both hands to the things that are beautiful, lovely, just, and pure, good. Love one another with an affection. Not because you have to, but because you want to. When I asked all of you to greet your neighbor, some of you are a little struggling with that. I don't know those people. They might not like me. Maybe they have bad breath. I don't know. It doesn't matter. With brotherly affection, outdo each other in honor. That's why he ends up saying, giving honor to whom honor is owed, as chapter 13 brings up. The last thing I wanted to read is 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1. When I was looking at the text, this is an application that the preacher man gave to Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5. um, Just finish up with this thought that since love is a fruit of the spirit, it's the first one, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience. Love flows through us because God first loved us. Love is being perfected in us. This is a part of what it means when I was a child, I spake like a child, I loved like a child. But when I became a man, the childish things went away and I became mature. And that's why by 1 Corinthians 13 says love is the best. Even though our hearts are idle factories and they produce a lot of substitutes and we break the first commandment all the time, we're supposed to give thanks to God for his steadfast love. And 1 Timothy, and then I'll pray after this. He says, he's writing, this is 1 Timothy writing to this young preacher boy. He says, the aim of our charge is love. I never really noticed this before. That's what we're aiming for. We want you guys to know what love is. We want you to know what love's got to do with it. The aim of our charge is love that flows or issues from a heart that is pure and from a conscience that's not seared, it's good, and from a faith that's really real. He says, sadly, verse 6, some people, they swerved away from this kind of love. They haven't made the mark. They've wandered away, talking about things that are vain, and empty. They're just caught up with things that don't matter. Verse 7: They desire to be the experts, the teachers of, of the law of the way it should be. But they're lacking the helicopter view of understanding. They don't really get it. They're short-sighted. Either they're they're without understanding either what they are saying about or what they about which they are making their assertions. It's so sad. Timothy is is trying to be taught when you're working with these new churches in uh, in Ephesus. He says, the aim is to get going back to love. Go back to love. Go back to love. Verse 8, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. You can manipulate it. You can become legalistic. But he says, if love is the champion of the law, if it's the caulk that holds it together, then it's a beautiful thing. And you'll understand that the law was not laid down just for the just, but it was given for the people who live in society. The unjust, the ones who are disobedient to God because they don't know him. They're ungodly, they're sinners, they're unholy, they're profane. They strike their fathers and mothers, they're even murderers. They, they don't do the commandments, they just do what feels good to them. Even the sexually immoral, the men who practice homosexuality, they're enslaved, they're liars, they're perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to what God has set up in good order. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted The aim of our charge is the love of God. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would have that love flow through us. Lord, I pray that we would not fall into the trap of thinking that that we just have to be blindly obedient to whatever anybody else says to us. Lord, I thank you for giving us the three institutions. We pray that you will give us godly leaders in all three institutions, especially the state as we're thinking about that today. We would like there to be good order, and I pray that all of God's people would yield to that good order. We long to have people in places that make good decisions because the Bible tells us that we will live, be able then to have a peaceable life. We'll be able to live and have our being. Uh, that's uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Lord, I do pray that as we're here today and love is in the air and we care about our neighbors and we hear all these verses, that you would help us to love you first and foremost because everything has been the yellow brick road. Your love has brought you to us. And because we are now in Christ, because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, everything is different. And that love now is at work in our hearts to change us. Philippians 1 6 says you're perfecting that love in us. Even in Philippians 2 verse 5, you're turning us to be even having the mind of Christ to see things the way Christ sees them. And recognizing that our time on this earth is really not just to build up barns for ourselves and to build, build bigger bank accounts. But it is to love one another while we have the opportunity since our life is brief. We thank you for the love of God. It's so amazing. And I pray that we will have the love of God on our lips, but may it also be adorned in our life. We want people to know the love that you had for us because you saved us from our sinful condition and prepared a place in heaven for us as your children. I give thanks in Jesus' name.